sorry I don't love you A friends have grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back this week. Max Mallet is returning to talk more comics. I know in our previous episode we discussed we might have you back on, Max, for some other things other than comics, but as it turns out, you and I like so many comics that it just ended up being comics again this time. That's right. It was meant to be. Um, maybe, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but uh, maybe we could follow up to this one in a couple of months with uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yes, I think we can do that. That has not been taken, so we're good. Cool. And on that note, what we are going to be discussing today is Planet Hulk. And there are two separate Planet Planet Hulks. So to be a little more specific, we're talking about the run that started around 2006. And it was in The Incredible Hulk, not the Secret Wars five-issue sort of crossover event thing that happened with planet hulk more recently so this is like the original planet hulk that we're discussing today that's right yep the legendary yeah and to just give a quick overview of who was involved in this and everything greg pack is the writer and on pencils you have carlo pagulayan and aaron lapresti for the inker you have jeffrey hewitt colorist is chris sotomeyer and there are two letterers as well. So you have Randy Gentile and Joe Caramanga on there. I hope I came as close as possible on all of those pronunciations. So, Max, why don't you just give us a quick overview of what this entails? And I will note that this runs about 14 issues, I believe, is what we determined it is. And it's issues 92 to 105 of The Incredible Hulk. Yes, uh, it is a very long trade. I'm not sure if it's long enough to be considered an omnibus, but in person, which is how I, I read it, I read the physical copy, uh, it looks large enough to be considered an, an omnibus. But either way, uh, the, the general gist of this is uh, there was a four-issue run preceding this by Daniel Way, uh, who uh, was writing Deadpool at around the same time this came out. Uh, but Basically, the way that that run ends is um, the Illuminati, so uh, Reed Richards, uh, Iron Man, and a, a couple of others uh, who escape me at the moment, basically conclude that Hulk is too dangerous to be trusted to be kept on Earth. So they um, basically set up a sort of, um, kind of like a hoax, where Hulk has to attack this satellite that's gone haywire and poses a threat to the world. Uh, and in so doing, they, they kind of lure him into the spaceship and they send him on his way. Uh, and basically, a calculation goes wrong and he lands on the wrong planet. They had intended for him to land on a planet with no intelligent life uh, so that he wouldn't pose much of a threat to anything and, and nothing could pose a threat to him. Uh, that's basically how the logic goes there. Uh, he lands on a planet with very intelligent life, with very advanced weapons and very violent creatures. Uh, and that is how Planet Hulk starts. Uh, he quickly becomes uh, enslaved and has to earn his freedom back. 
So I, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into off the bat, but that's basically what precedes Planet Hulk and how Planet Hulk begins. Yeah, and I think that's a really good overview. And like you mentioned, you read the trade for this while I read it on Marvel Unlimited. So for me, maybe it didn't feel quite as big because I you know, didn't get to hold a book in my hand and see how physically big the story was. But because this also includes an issue 100, you know, that was an oversized issue. At least they included the entire issue in Marvel Unlimited. And I think it was like 80 pages or so alone for that issue, because they tend to do, you know, for the milestone numbers, these big issues and everything like that. So that sort of added a little more meat to the book, probably. Yeah, the uh, the, the giant issue uh, in this one is definitely noticeable. It's the sort of thing where, like, I'm not going to lie, I kind of cheat and I see how many pages remain. Um, but with that said, uh, it's a, a tr- even though it's, I think, over 400 pages, it goes by pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I read essentially two thirds of the book in a couple of hours one night. So uh, it's it's not the kind of book that feels like a chore. Every issue is either action packed or entertaining in some other way with character development. So uh, it, it flies by pretty quickly. Yeah, and I figured the best way to break this down would to just sort of take it the little story by story arcs that they offered. And, you know, I was expecting something closer to like two seven issue story arcs or something like that, since most trades seem to be somewhere, you know, between five and seven issues or something like that. But they actually broke this down into four different sections. And the first one we have is Exile. So you already mentioned how he sort of got to the planet and everything, and they don't go over that too much in this. You sort of start piecing it all together by the end if you didn't read anything that came before it. So I think where they started with the Exile storyline and everything still works because you know, I asked you beforehand, I was like, hey, do I need to, you know, read anything before I dive into Planet Hulk? And you mentioned that you can just read it as a standalone. And I think that's part of the reason why they sort of let you piece it together throughout this story instead of just being like, okay, so Hulk's here and there's sort of this story going on that you don't really know about going into it. Yeah. So I I read this maybe two months ago and you can read it as a standalone. Um, but uh, I, I guess the, the reason I, I told you that uh, you, you could read as a standalone is uh, adding four issues on top of this monster book would have been 18. Right. Uh, so I, I didn't want to uh, overburden you. But yeah, um, I guess I, I underestimated how little background they give you in the first issue or so. Uh, and that's, that's kind of a shame. Uh, it's, it's really, it feels like it's catering to people that, were buying this issue to issue when it came out. I mean, they give you a- enough background, so you're, you're not lost. You can kind of piece together how it happens. But um, yeah, they should have at least dedicated a couple of pages to previously in Hulk. 
a lot of comics do that anyway. They'll they'll do like one quick previously in page or something like that, just so you can sort of have a little refresher, especially with books that only come out monthly. You might not necessarily remember everything that happened in the last issue because you're waiting so long to get it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's another issue uh, that I had with the beginning of this uh, with the exile arc, the first of the four arcs. So there are stories where Hulk gets hurt. A noteworthy example is Wolverine's claws can penetrate the Hulk. But in general, and and especially in in the movies, which really gives most people their feel of, of who the Hulk is and what he's capable of, he's a nearly indestructible creature. But the weapons that he comes across, which aren't that different from weaponry that like, the Avengers would come across on Earth, uh, he gets hurt fairly easily. Right. And if, correct me if I'm wrong, but if my memory serves, they don't explain if, it, if this has to do with the planet's atmosphere or if these weapons are special. They, they might give, drop a line or, or two scattered in the book, but it's somewhat unclear as to how the Hulk is hurt with relative ease in the beginning of the book. Yeah, I think the only thing they really show there is, you know, hey, the Hulk bleeds green and then stuff kind of starts growing from him, <laughs> like from his blood mm -hmm. trails and everything like that, which that was never really explained either. And now that you bring that up, it's still one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe they could have put in just not even necessarily a full page, but like a few quick panels on it or something just to have a little more explanation for that yeah and i've got to wonder if th this was an editorial decision where it was okay the story is over 400 pages we have to cut out a couple yeah and that's something i can see as sort of understandable to cut out because it's not super crucial to what I mean, it is crucial to what the Hulk is going through because he is able to be hurt now. But, you know, the stuff growing and having all this, you know, greenery come up out of it. I think that part might have been a little less important and it just would have been more interesting to see, OK, what is it about this place that makes him more vulnerable? Vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. It, it would have been nice context. It, it doesn't it doesn't take away too much. I mean, you're still able to thoroughly enjoy the book, but. You know, if you want to be hypercritical, uh, that that's a place you can definitely point to. Yeah, definitely. And in the Exile arc, you really quickly get a feel for what this world is like and, you know, what the different species, I guess you could say, are like on this planet. And what they do really well is they literally have to build a whole new world out of this story. And you're just tossing Hulk in the middle of it. And I think they really do a good job of still l letting you get to know the different types of species and, you know, races, I guess you could say, on this planet. Yes. This, in some ways, this story feels like if Hulk existed in the Star Wars universe and didn't interact with any of the main Star Wars characters. Uh, that's kind of the feel that I get, anyway. Um, and, but yeah, the world is very vividly imagined. Uh, there are a ton of splash pages and double-page spreads 
throughout these 14 issues. And uh, I mean, the, the quality of the art by all parties involved really enhances Pack's storytelling. There are a lot of sort of familiar motifs, uh, an oppressive regime that has slaves fight in the gladiator pits and sort of like uh, racism among these, or I guess speciesism, right? Among these different groups of, of creatures uh, and all interwoven with Hulk at the center. Uh, at, at first being this sort of just incredibly angry, resentful slave to becoming um, liberator and, and then more as the story goes on. Yeah, and one thing I want to quickly bring up too is the idea of those obedience discs because clearly they do have advancements that you know the Hulk necessarily hasn't seen or come across on Earth, and it's really interesting that that's yet another thing they could have done a little more deeper information on, or you know just done a little bit of a deeper story on. I guess is a better way to put it and you sort of just see these people and you kind of sort of learn about like I said the different species and everything but you don't really learn too much about how they came to be so powerful and so technologically advanced in some aspects yes that's true like maybe they could have had one issue where you don't even see the Hulk where it's just like the regime and you get little snippets of their goings on kind kind of like, I don't know if you watch game of Thrones or not, but I don't. Okay. So like there are some episodes that you'll get, you'll see much more of the bad guys and and their perspective than you will the the heroes. Okay. Uh, And comic books do this too. Um, Like I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but, you'll be reading, I don't know, say an X-Men story, and one of the six issues will heavily focus on Magneto rather than Wolverine and Cyclops, right? So they could have done something like that here that just is a bit more of an explainer. Um, because, yeah, there is really cool technology here, like these obedience discs, basically discs that latch on to you, and kind of the way that the Suicide Squad, if they disobey their head goes boom with right. the little chip in their neck. This uh, basically um, causes you, it, it seems like it causes you physical pain and it also affects your mind. And if you disobey one too many times, you can just go insane and, and lose yourself. Uh, so it's a pretty cool aspect uh, and it helps explain how they're able to uh, contain the Hulk uh, for as long as they're able to. Yeah, and they definitely take it a step further than what they have in Suicide Squad, because that's simply more of an incentive for them to do what they're told. It's not, you know, on the level of mind control, basically, and something like that. And as far as I can tell, for the Suicide Squad, they don't hurt. They just go boom if they don't do what they're told. Yes, yeah, uh, there's there's no warning. Whereas with this, you know, you might be able to rebel a couple of times. But it's kind of like Russian roulette, like, when is this one going to be the one? Yeah, and you mentioned doing a full issue on the technology and more about the world and everything like that. I think because there were so many big fight scenes in this, 
if we had one fewer of those, I don't think it would necessarily have made the comic any less of an entertaining read than it already was. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you have anything else you want to mention about the exile arc, or do you want to move on to the anarchy part of the story? Uh, no, we can definitely move on to the anarchy part. Uh, it's about to get juicy. Yeah, so here, this is where you sort of see Hulk taking up this mantle as a very, very reluctant leader, and that even that might be an understatement because... You know, he's aware of what has been done to him and why he's not on Earth anymore. And he sort of just really wants to be left alone. And I think because he still has Bruce Banner as part of him and everything like that, he's probably always wondering, like, what if I am what they say I am? You know, and he just wants people to leave him alone so that he's not tempted to hurt anyone. And it really seems like, you know, he just wants to sort of do his own thing, but that everyone is looking up to him because of how well he fights. And to them, he's sort of like their last hope. Yes. Hulk doesn't convey it very well, but somewhat like Wolverine, he knows he's a danger to everyone around him. And the way he deals with that is by being rude to them. (laughs) Right. Uh, So it's not a very diplomatic tactic, but he thinks he's really doing this for everyone's own good. And as a result of that, he's not inherently a great team player. But in the storyline, the events around him necessitate him being the team leader. Uh, He's a reluctant leader here. um, Not unlike what you'll sometimes see with Batman and the Bat family or Batman and the Justice League. Uh, Sort of similar vibe, but uh, even more reclusive. Yeah, and this is where even more of the fighting comes in. And this is a fight for survival because the Red King is still coming after him because when he was in exile, it's like he was fighting more so because of the obedience disc and then eventually they are able to get rid of those and another marvel character that makes an appearance in this is the silver surfer do you recall if that is this one or if it's something or if it's in annihilation i think it's this one because uh silver surfer shows up somewhat early in the comic yeah. In, in this uh, Planet Hulk story arc. Uh, and because this takes place in space and because Silver Surfer's in it, uh, maybe uh, someone with a greater knowledge of Marvel would disagree with me. I, I sort of considered this whole story arc to be a, Mar- a Marvel cosmic event. Yeah. And uh, as a side note, I have found that the Marvel cosmic events are, are the best Marvel events, period. Uh but, um, yeah, with that being said, the surfer being here is, is super cool. Uh, we find out that he's also a prisoner on this planet. And his inclusion is cool because he's one of the few Marvel characters that could really take the Hulk on in a fight. And, and also vice versa. So them being pitted, even their skill sets and their abilities are, are vastly different. But the Surfer is sort of this like mystical character that I think a lot of mainstream readers and also moviegoers don't know much about. 
So I really, really like his inclusion in here. Um, I don't know if you'd call him an A-list Marvel character. Uh, he, he might be, but he doesn't have Hulk's recognition. And I think as a result of that, he complements the Hulk greatly as a character without overshadowing him. If it were Iron Man or Wolverine or, or someone like that, I think that that character might overshadow the Hulk. But I think Surfer is just a compliment. Yeah, and I think too with the cosmic events and everything, like you said, if they had brought in Guardians of the Galaxy or something like that, you know, their big space team that they really focus on for these sorts of events, I feel like it would have completely changed the dynamic of the book too. And like you said, Silver Surfer was a great compliment to him because you know, most of the time when we see Silver Surfer, and at least from what I've read of his character, he's sort of tied to Galactus. And he'll he'll make appearances in other comics and everything like that, of course. But his ties really and origins come from, you know, being the herald for Galactus and everything like that. And to see him in this state, it just gives you a new look at the character too and sort of who the character really is on his own. Yes. Yes. Um, at the same time, it doesn't tell you that much about him, but his presence really just adds to the sort of overall feeling that this book is inherently tragic and he comes across as a tragic, lonesome character. Literally just like the space-bound character who isn't part of a team, is basically a god, like has godlike powers. Um, and he just it, it comes across as a pretty tragic character in, in a book that, um, as we learn, will turn out to be a pretty tragic one. Yeah, and that sort of loneliness is something the Hulk can relate to. So they have this little piece of something that they can both see in each other and you know, with the Hulk figuring out how to, you know, crush the obedience disc and everything and, you know, not kill Silver Surfer at the same time is one of the better scenes in this specific arc. Yeah, uh, the issue with Surfer, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the fourth. I think he's in a couple. He might be in like the fourth and fifth issues. That's, I mean, there are a lot of great scenes throughout the story, but... Uh, you could argue that that's the best one. Yeah, I probably should have brought my iPad over here to like flip through because he either appears at the very end of Exile or at the very beginning of Anarchy. And I know Anarchy is when they sort of are ordered to, I guess, sort of complete these various challenges in order to stay alive. And it's like their team keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um. I I do believe that Surfer sort of bridges Exile and Anarchy. Okay. I, I think he might make an appearance at the end of Exile, but Anarchy is really where he's prominent. Yeah, he, he's only there for a couple of issues. Yeah, and we don't need him to be in every single issue either for his character to play an effective role. And I think with what they do in Anarchy with a ton of it being you know, fighting and Hulk sort of getting to know how all of these other characters fight that are on his quote unquote team that he sort of doesn't really want to be a part of still. But, 
you're starting to get in this more tidbits about these characters that we've never really ever seen anything about. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up um, because I think it's issue 95, which is the fourth issue. So it's, it's at the end of Exile, where you are basically given vignettes of all of the core members of Hulk's team and basically how they got there, like the tragedies of their own backstories. Uh, and I'm going to lay my cards on the table. My favorite member of the team is definitely Meek. Okay. Uh, he is the least powerful. Uh, and when, when you meet him, he just, he seems like a character that has a really good heart and um, is, I don't, I don't know why, but like for for me, he just he came across as like if Jar Jar Binks was cool. Uh, t- to me, that's kind of what this character was like. Uh, and he goes, I I think that when Pack, if I'm not mistaken, Pack created all these characters. Uh, and I think when he created him, he knew that this would be the fan favorite, and that's why Meek is a he plays a larger role as the book goes on. Okay. Yeah, and I think they sort of gave him, Greg Pak, free reign to create this whole world outside of what we already knew in the Marvel Universe. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it seems that way. Um, and I think I was mistaken with what I was talking about. Uh, it, that might have been a, a different issue. Um, but uh, anyway, um, yes, uh, at the end of the whole story, like, is often the case in these critically acclaimed events. Uh, Pack writes a, a one-page uh, sort of a diatribe on what the experience of writing Planet Hulk was like, and it, it does seem like he had a pretty good amount of free range here. Yeah, and I think what they really accomplish well in this is how they introduce you to this whole new world but at the same time they still really make it feel like you know hey this is sort of just another world in the cosmic element of the marvel universe you never really feel like they're sort of forcing this new planet on you and i don't think they ever give you that expectation that hey you know these characters are going to show up consistently in you know the Marvel universe later. And I'm looking it up as we're talking here, but Silver Surfer is in issue 95, which is the first part of, or sorry, the the fourth part of Exile. And then it looks like that sort of rolls over into the first part of Anarchy. So, you know, I'll keep this up. So we hopefully do not get too many issues confused here, but do you have anything left that you want to touch on for Anarchy? No, no, I, I don't. And uh, yeah, my, my apologies if I say something happened in one arc when it happened in another. Uh, it's I'm holding the trade in front of me, and it's since it's such a massive book, uh, and I haven't bookmarked everything that I, I could touch on, um, I, I am uh, flipping back and forth when there's a little ambiguity. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. Because I read it on Marvel Unlimited, a lot of it sort of blurs together for me. So I probably should have like pulled everything up before we started this just so I could, you know, figure out, okay, this issue is the start of this one. But 
we're going to move on to Annihilation now. And this is the one that starts with issue 100. So you Mm. are getting this giant-sized issue for the very first one of this story arc. And this is the arc where they are fighting against the spikes that have been launched on them. And the Red King is sort of just going all out on his attack against the Hulk and his team. And I don't know if I'm going to pronounce her name correctly, but I want to say it's Kyra. And she's the old strong, which sort of means she has this power that no one else really is able to have or handle. That was the gist of it that I got anyway. Yes, she is a badass character. I I really liked her. Um, And uh, this uh, issue 100 is also, uh, we've come to the point where uh, Meek has had his transformation from a sort of skinny, short, little beetle to a Hulk-sized, massive, like, beetle king. Yeah. Um, which, which is pretty cool. Uh, and, um, yeah, the, the spikes are just disgusting. <laughs> like, they are horrendous. Yeah, and they sort of just consume anything and everything in their path and start getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it kind of reminded me of watching the movie slither which a friend told me to watch and you know this alien life form basically landed on earth and it's like it would attach itself to a host and then everything it consumed would just make it bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually the guy was like taking up the entire living room and that's sort of really what this reminded me of and it was definitely just as disgusting as that was in slither yeah so i uh unfortunately can't chime in there i haven't seen slither Um, i'm vaguely familiar with it okay but uh yeah i mean so the spikes are I guess you call them a parasite that sort of zombifies the host. Um, and, uh, basically like, but at the same time, it it seems like it's not a mindless zombie. It's sort of this like hive mind phenomenon happening where they all sort of attack the same objective. Um, but they cause these like spiky limbs to protrude from the host and uh, it seems like it's sort of like getting bitten by a zombie in that like once it happens to you, there's probably no going back. Yeah, and this arc accomplishes a lot because not only do they defeat the Spikes, but they overthrow the Red King and Hulk ends up becoming their king now, even though that's something he's still pretty reluctant to do. And then he ends up married to Kyra. And he, for the first time in this story, is truly happy. And we even see him become Bruce Banner for a very, very brief moment. And you know that guy is still in there. And one thing I did want to bring up with you is it's always been a thing where the Hulk obviously is not nearly as smart as Bruce Banner is. But in this, the Hulk seems fairly capable of, you know, 
gathering his thoughts and having these things that he wants to do that makes total sense for him as a character, but he's sort of not just this like big, stupid green man that sometimes I feel like people make it seem like he is because of that degradation, I guess you can say, between him as Bruce Banner and him as the Hulk. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the the past movies have kind of informed people that the Hulk is this sort of mindless beast. Yeah. Um, when he's really not. Uh, he, yes, the Hulk is not this intellectual um, force of nature that Bruce Banner is. He, he's a physical force of nature, but he's he's not unintelligent. He his intelligence as the Hulk is sort of more like battle savvy. Right. So there's a, there's a scene with, um, I guess streetwise, if you want to call it that, uh, when the spikes attack in, uh, issue a hundred, the Hulk really shows off exactly how strong he is by both fists hammering the ground and literally cracking the earth, uh, showing that he is a world breaker as he's uh, sometimes referred to. Um, that was one of the coolest scenes in the whole book because, um, yeah, it's like he could easily defeat 99% of foes that he ever comes across. I mean, he's just so damn strong that it's, it's not a contest, but to see him do that shows that he is truly a, a godlike character. Um, and w- doing that while wearing, um, gladiator armor, as well, aesthetically, like as as a history geek, I can't help but think of the legend of Hercules. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, in, in addition to having some of the most badass action scenes of the whole um, Planet Hulk story, uh, this one shows the greatest range of, of emotion from the Hulk. Right. Uh, which isn't saying a whole lot because he doesn't show emotion too often besides anger. Uh, but you're right, he shows a semblance of happiness here towards the end, um, while at the same time, I think this arc best encapsulates that despite being this huge green monster thing, he's still a somewhat relatable character. Um, he's by far not the most relatable Marvel character. Um, he's an, a genius when he's Bruce Banner, and he's a giant invincible monster when he's not, but you know, it, it, it sort of humanizes him a little bit showing him in love and showing him experience grief and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And even just that instance of seeing him as Bruce Banner again, it's like you realize that part of the character is still within him. It's not like the Hulk has completely taken over and, you know, Bruce Banner is never going to, show up again it's more of a survival thing for him at this point he knows his chances of survival are probably way better as the hulk than they are as bruce banner on a planet like this and you know we have two more issues left to talk about but with annihilation they this arc really does encompass sort of that full spectrum of emotions that you're going to be able to get out of the Hulk. And I think that's what they did really well here. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Um, I I do have a question for you based on something you just brought up. Okay. That it, yes, it seems like 
as the Hulk, he's much more likely to survive this planet than as Bruce Banner. Um, in the first Avengers movie, uh, granted the movies and the comics do diverge, um, but uh, Bruce Banner in the film says one time when things got really dark for him, he put a bullet in his mouth while he was Bruce Banner and proceeded to transform into the Hulk, who then spat the bullet out. So, like, it, it makes me wonder a couple of things. Uh, like, it comes across throughout Planet Hulk that the Hulk is, hasn't purged himself of Bruce Banner, but is very close to that. Like, it seems like it's like 90% Hulk, 10% Banner. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, if he were killed as Bruce, would he be able to transform into the Hulk? And then it's as if he wasn't killed to begin with? Or how do you think that works? Yeah, that's interesting that you bring up that part of the Avengers movie, because I actually didn't have much recollection of a whole lot of the little details like that in that film. And I really do feel like him being the Hulk is more of a survival thing. So I'm wondering if someone could even kill him as Bruce Banner without having him turn into the Hulk beforehand. So I think that would definitely be something that would be interesting to explore. Obviously, that probably would not be an all-ages comic or anything like that. <laughs> but right. I think it's definitely something that could be touched on a lot more. And I feel like that's something that could really make the Hulk more of an interesting character because, you know, while he's been okay in the Avengers movies and everything like that, when they were doing, you know, the solo films or even the TV show, you, you never really were able to dive that far into the psychology of the Hulk. It's sort of like, hey, this is a thing that happens to Bruce Banner. He's smart when he's Bruce Banner, and he's not when he's the Hulk. But I feel like there's so much more to the character than just that. It would be interesting to see what would happen if someone came after Bruce Banner specifically. Yeah, it, it would. Uh, and, and part of why they don't really focus much on him in the movies probably is because um, his solo film was with a different actor than who's currently portraying the Hulk. Right. I think that's the only case that's happened with a, a major character in the Marvel, in the MCU. Um, and and I, I don't know. Um, but it's just such a cast of characters that are competing for airtime. But who knows? Maybe, maybe in an upcoming movie. Maybe in Thor Ragnarok this November. Yeah, and we definitely, you know, have seen glimpses of that that look pretty similar to Planet Hulk here. But why don't we go ahead and talk about these final two issues with issues 104 and 105. You and I both felt like these two issues were kind of more of a lead in to what comes next with World War Hulk, which I have not read yet. I took a little bit of a break after reading this because, like you said, it was just so ginormous of a comic and a story. I was like, okay, let me go, you know, read a few other things. I was like, all right, let's read, let's catch up on some Squirrel Girl and Marvel Unlimited and all new Wolverine and stuff like that. And then I'll return to this. But these final two issues, which go by Armageddon, you really, this is where you sort of really see why the Hulk is on that planet. You see him, you know, watching the video and you see, you know, some of the other species and some of the other characters find this video and 
it just turns into this big to-do about it. And as it turns out, you know, the shuttle or ship that the Hulk was sent in ends up being this ginormous bomb, essentially, is what it seems like. And it sort of just turns the Hulk's world upside down after everything he fought to accomplish. Yeah, the way that kind of goes down, I thought it seemed like they were just trying to wrap up the story. Uh, they don't really explain like the bomb thing so well, or I guess like it, it just doesn't make sense why that would be a bomb. Yeah. Uh, like that to me was a, like a little sloppy, um, but it allows for a crazy emotional impact with what happens next. Yeah. And when he sort of, realizes what's going on because like we said he's not as dull as you think he is in this you know he's able to sort of piece things together as they're happening but I definitely agree with you the bomb seemed a little off because even though they wanted to send the Hulk away I don't think they would have really tried to blow him up to a comp to just like make sure he never came back and Obviously, with World War Hulk after this, he does go back. <laughs> so, you know, right. that's basically how this ends. It ends with him wanting to go back to Earth and basically probably beat the crap out of everyone and just get answers as to why that is something that they did to him. And it'll be interesting to see if maybe that wasn't something they did to him, but if, like, say, the Red King found out and made the ship into a bomb. I don't know if that's something that is even remotely plausible, but it feels like something the Red King would do. And I feel like if you put that sort of twist on it, then maybe it would make a little more sense. But if that's not what they do in World War Hulk, then I'm sort of just a little lost on that as well. Yeah. Uh, t Tony Stark better uh, hope that that Hulkbuster armor uh, lives to its name because that's who I'd be coming for. <laughs> Um, if I were the Hulk after this all goes down. Uh, yeah, like this, the ship basically, when we say it's a bomb, it, it's basically a, a, a nuclear device. Uh, and yeah. the art, the artwork is supposed to signify that, I think. Like the, the way it's done, um, it's, it's a little subtle, but it looks to me like it's supposed to be saying like, yes, this is sort of a, a Holocaust inducing device. Uh, and it's hard to blame the Hulk. Uh, you know, even if he goes a little bit overboard in World War Hulk, uh, he, the guy was exiled, uh, and he was done so in sort of a, a con job, uh, becomes a slave, liberates himself and others, finds love, so, you know, good for the green guy, uh, and then uh, his new love and countless others are perished in this blast uh, because of Reed Richards and Tony Stark and company. Yeah, and not to mention his unborn child that he just found out about. Yes, yeah. Oh yeah, so um, one of the strongest characters in the Marvel Universe who's just lost everything and has nothing to lose. Yeah, not going to be good. Obviously, we should definitely mention not just, you know, what Greg Pak accomplished with the story, but what the artists and colorists and all of the creative team on that end of the comic 
accomplished with all of these fight scenes and there were just so many characters to draw and understand in this and I think they did a really great job on the art side of this too and I know for you and I art isn't necessarily you know the top priority we really look into the story a lot more but I think this wouldn't work if the whole thing didn't work together with you know the world building and what that world looks like on paper oh no question um the throughout this story the art is is pretty incredible um there are uh a lot of as the story goes on it becomes more and more colorful part of that is because as as you briefly mentioned for whatever reason the hulk's blood um is good for the soil on this planet and towards the end of the book, we see sort of forests blooming where there was just sort of a desolate wasteland before. Uh, and um, there's a, a lot of fire throughout the book uh, and a lot of very intricate action scenes and lots of splash pages. So there's a painstaking amount of work that went into this. It's, it's pretty evident, even if, like me, you, you don't know a whole lot about art, uh, you can definitely just take a glance at a, a couple of pages and instantly tell that this is a very well-crafted book. Yeah. Well, is there anything you want to touch on before we wrap this up here? Just a couple of parting thoughts, I guess. Uh, whenever I read a trade, I, um, I write down on a scale of 1 to 10 how excited I am about it, and then I follow it up with a grade. Initially, I, I was just so impressed by this book and um, frankly, uh, gave a lot of kudos to Pack for the fact that he made it as tragic as he did at the end, that I gave it a 10 out of 10. Um, mm -hmm. But given the holes that we've poked into it while talking about it, uh, I'm going to lower that to a 9. It's, it's still an incredible book. Yeah. Easily worth the price of admission. Um, and I would go as far as to say that uh, stories from around the same time, like uh, Civil War... Um, old man Logan. Uh, I think this is by far superior to those to those events. And uh, yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I thought old man Logan was super underwhelming, and I didn't like House of M. I thought Civil War it was good but not great. And I, I've just been looking for a Marvel event that lived up to the hype, and and this one does. Uh, and and the Hulk is not one of my favorite characters. Uh, I don't think he's that relatable. There are moments where he is, but in general, not so much. Not like Peter Parker, for example. Um, but yeah, this is the world building and the art are both so good. And the story is long enough to make all the side characters feel like they belong. They're not just lackeys. Uh, that the, the whole thing as a collective is, is really a joy to read. And um, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, and you sent me that spreadsheet that you were mentioning before we decided what we were going to record on. So, you know, I was going through and I was like, all right, you know, it's a lot more fun to talk about things you enjoy. So I was like looking at your higher scores and everything. And I was like, you know, I haven't read too many Hulk comics. So why don't we cover this? And, you know, I think I enjoyed Mark Miller's Old Man Logan a bit more than you did. But when you have something like Civil War and I think in total there's like 98 or 99 Civil War 
issues between all of the tie-ins and you know like the main seven or eight issue event or whatever it is and it's like that's something that is just a little too overwhelming if you want all of the pieces that fit together with that story and this it felt like a really good contained story within just this title yes that is a very good point um you can read just the main civil war book and i think that's six or seven issues yeah but man like marvel and their tie-ins like they had so many damn tie-ins whereas with this if you want the whole story you're reading 18 issues so you're reading the the uh, prequel that daniel way yeah daniel way wrote and then you're reading the 14 issue main story that greg pack wrote and pack it just to give him specifically some credit here is a, a fantastic writer uh, if you want a really emotive story by the same author, read Magneto Testament from the Marvel Knights era. It's an isolated Magneto story uh, from when he was in a concentration camp. So it's Magneto before he was Magneto. Uh, and Greg Pak has also written Superman too. And he recently said uh, that he thinks that if Hulk and Superman got in a fight, that Hulk would win. Uh, which seems a little counterintuitive to me, but hey, he, he's written both of them, so I'll let him have the final word on that. Yeah, and that actually works out nicely because I was going to see if you had any quick recommendations you wanted to throw out, so you know, I'll make note of those. But do you plan to read on and continue with the World War Hulk storyline if you haven't already? Because I know he also writes that, but instead of, you know, the artist they have, I believe you have John Romita Jr. on art. And I think you have maybe some other people here and there for that one. Yes. So I have not read that, but I will. Uh, I'm in the middle of reading a few different Civil War tie-ins right now, uh, as I move forward in Marvel's canon. World War Hulk takes place a year or two after Civil War. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm getting to it. I must say I'm not a John Romita Jr. fan. I think some of his stuff is better than... It, it's inconsistent. I did not... I don't like his Spider-Man art. I think his, his artwork is a little too blocky. So I don't like how he draws Spider-Man or Superman or Batman. I really liked his work on Wolverine with Mark Millar. Uh, I think characters that are stockier in build, the Hulk being one of them, I think his, his art might work for that. But I'm not his biggest fan in general, so I'm a little lukewarm, but I am looking forward to watching Hulk uh, do some damage as well. Yeah, and for me, I just sort of want to see how it all plays out in the end. If they sort of go with what I was thinking, or if it really was, you know, Tony Stark and Reed Richards putting the bomb or making the ship the bomb and that sort of thing. I think, you know, there are definitely questions that need to be answered in World War Hulk, but it's not so crucial that you read it necessarily right away. So you mentioned not really reading too many Hulk comics. Are there any others you have read that you enjoyed? Or is this sort of really the first Hulk story you've thoroughly enjoyed? So the Daniel Way prequel to Planet Hulk is quite good, actually. Okay. Uh, it really, um, it, it starts with the Hulk sort of in isolation in Alaska. He has self-isolated. The dialogue is pretty good. Um, and I definitely recommend checking that out uh, if you want to. 
um, Hulk Gray by our our boys uh, Loeb and Sale of uh, the Long Halloween fame uh, is is pretty good. It's not as good as this. Okay. Uh, it it is a lot shorter. Uh, it's six issues. Yeah. <laughs> it it really goes into it dives pretty deep into the Hulk as a tragic hero, and there are a, a couple of um, other Marvel characters uh, that make their appearances throughout that arc. But it's it's a good story. It's not great. Uh, whereas Planet Hulk is great. So yeah, I haven't read a whole lot of Hulk. So uh, so far, that's what I've got for you. Yeah, and I've heard good things about the new Hulk with Amadeus show. So th- I think that's something I might have to build up to at some point because, you know, what I've been doing with Marvel Unlimited is obviously I've been reading stuff for the podcast specifically, but you know, when you go to the comic book store and they have like the free DC essentials and, you know, like Marvel comics you should read, I have the Marvel's greatest collections just like sitting on my desk at all times now. And I sort of just flip through that and see, you know, like what stories they really recommend, some of the bigger events and everything like that. And I've just sort of been checking them off as I go through because they have it broken down by character, which is nice. So you don't just have, you know, the Avengers lumped into one. You They break it down and they're like, okay, then here's the Hulk stories you should read, the Captain America ones, Black Widow, and so on and so forth. So I'm sort of starting with quite a few things in that and then I'm you know picking my way through some other stuff as I either write articles on them or like I said do the podcast on them very nice that's awesome that's awesome yeah I'm I'm being a little stubborn myself with reading chronologically uh your way actually sounds a little bit more fun (laughs) yeah I know you have a system and but that's the nice thing about comics too is you can sort of read things however you want really i mean there's certain things you should read in order like you know for dc stuff i'm waiting until i get all of grant morrison's batman run to start that because i feel like if i sort of just read that in pieces i might be a little lost especially with the way i know grant morrison writes a lot of his stuff but you know i i think we did a pretty extensive job on (laughs) covering planet hulk here so i think we can definitely wrap this up so thank you max for coming back on to talk even more comics i will put you down for thor ragnarok and as soon as we both see that we can you know plan to do that that sounds awesome yeah looking forward to it and uh thanks for having me on again deanna of course and to the listeners as always thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day